Take your Bibles to the book of Genesis. We're going to deal with chapter 3 tonight. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than all of the beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of the, every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, Ye shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. The Lord called unto Adam and said to him, Where are you? And so he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat of? And then the man said, the woman whom you gave to me to be, my, to be with me, she gave of me of the tree and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I did eat. And so the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all of the cattle, more than all of the beasts of the field. And upon your belly you shall go, and ye shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head, and ye shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow, and in your conception and pain you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded to the voice of your wife, and you have eaten, eaten from the tree of which I have commanded you not to, cursed is the ground for your sake. Toil and sweat you shall eat all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you, and ye shall eat of the herb of the tree the field and in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of the ground you were taken and from dust you shall return and Adam called to his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living and Adam and his wife the Lord thy God made tunics of skin clothed them and the Lord God said behold the man has become like one of us to know good and evil and now least he, put out, least he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord thy God sent them out of the garden of Eden to till the ground which he was taken. And so he drove, out of the man, drove the man out and placed the cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. We're just looking for a few moments, the gospel in the book of Genesis. The gospel in the book of Genesis. I want you to see something that I think is interesting. If you go to, I want you to go to Genesis chapter 2 verse 8. I want to look at one verse there. Genesis chapter 2, and we've already seen in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 2 verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put man whom he had formed. Now, in the beginning of the book of Genesis, I want you to see some clues, some nuggets that I believe um, is a picture of what God was trying to do in his whole redemptive plan. You know, John the Baptist said about Jesus, he said, behold, the Lamb of God, which was slain before the foundation of the world. Sometimes when we read scripture, we're prone to think that some of this was just happenstance that God had to try to figure up what to do because the human race messed up. 
or the human race rebelled against him. So, you know, kind of God had to kind of figure out what to do. That is not the plan at all. Uh, God knew what was going to happen. That's why he's God. He already had a plan in place. Now, I know we can sit around and think about why God allowed some things to happen, and theologians have debated these issues for centuries, and we're not here to debate the Scriptures. We're here to read what it says, to believe what it says, and to ponder it. Uh, You know, God could have done, God could have, you know, not sent His Son. Maybe He could have done something else, but this is the plan that is given to us, and this is the plan that we accept. And what you see, I believe, is Old Testament contained is New Testament explained. What God was doing in the Old Testament was clearly a shadow or a picture of what was to come. And if you see in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, God planted, after He formed man, He put them in a place called the garden. Because not only is God concerned about a people, God is concerned about a place. And when God made a people, He put them in a particular place. When God called Abraham out of the country of Ur, He said to him, I'm going from your loins, I'm going to give you a people, and I'm going to give them a place. And I want to let you know that when God does something, He strategically places you in a particular place. And that place is just as spiritual as anything else. God made man and woman and he put them somewhere, he put them in a particular place. And the scripture records, he put them in a place called a garden, a garden, a garden. Now in the Hebrew, the word garden is also translated paradise. So you could read the Lord God planted a garden, or he planted a paradise eastward of Eden. So this this garden was a paradise, Most theologians believe that the garden, of course, consists of trees and it consists of things to eat. It's a a place where uh, it's flush and it's greenery. It's a place of relaxation. It's a place of peace. It's a paradise on earth. And this is what God's plan was. I'm forming man and placing them in a particular place called the garden. And that same theme seems to reoccur throughout the pages of the Bible. You see this term, garden, appears throughout the Bible. For instance, if you look at uh, John chapter 18, verse 1, you'll also see a phrase which refers to a garden. John chapter 18, verse 1, are you there? And When Jesus has spoken these words, He went out with the disciples over the brook Kindron, where there was a garden which He and His disciples entered. Somebody say, garden. Somebody say garden. It's very interesting here in verse 1, Jesus takes His disciples to a garden. This is the same garden where His sweat became great drops of blood. This is the same garden that Jesus wrestled with His own will and said, not my will, but thy will. This was a garden where there was a struggle. Isn't it interesting that in Genesis chapter 3, there was another struggle in the garden? A struggle between man and woman and the beast of the field, which was a serpent. And here is another struggle that's getting ready to happen. This struggle was not against the serpent, but now the struggle is against his own will. There is a struggle now in another garden. A garden of struggle. A garden where he has to face his own will, and his will is submitted to the Father. The first garden was a garden where there was a struggle between man and woman and then being deceived by a serpent, which was the devil. And here is another garden. The Scripture clearly tells us there's another garden. Another garden, John 19, verse 41. Another garden. John 19 and verse 41. John 19 and verse number 41. And I want you to see the the third. This is the third garden that you'll see. Now in the place where He was crucified, there was a what? There was a what? And in that garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Here is another garden. You have the first garden in Genesis chapter 2 where man and woman 
and the beast was struggling. They opposed the will of God. He deceived them, beguiled them. You have the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus struggled. There was the, the Garden of Suffering. So I would refer to the first garden as the Garden of Sin. The second garden as the Garden of Suffering or the Garden of Pressure. And now you have the third garden and this garden was actually a garden and in the garden there was a tomb. This is the Joseph of Arimathea's tomb and they laid his body in that grave. That is the garden of victory. The garden of victory. Victory was won in the garden. So you have the garden of sin where Adam and Eve and the serpent. You have the garden of suffering where Jesus suffered and he, he suffered to the point where his sweat became great drops of blood. And now you have the garden of victory. Victory was won in the garden. Victory was lost in the garden. But now victory is won in the garden. He won the victory in the garden. Somebody say, Amen. The resurrection of Jesus is the banner in which we hold. If there is no resurrection, there is no church. Jesus is a liar if he didn't raise from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the centerpiece, the climax of the story. And here Jesus demonstrates his victory in a garden. What the enemy tried to do and stop God's plan in the garden, it was reversed at the garden of victory. And John, the revelator, who is the author of the last book of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2, and I think it's verse number 7. Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 7, he talks about the seven churches of Asia. And uh, it's interesting, when Jesus is talking to uh, the church of Ephesus, he makes a profound statement that I think that we need to listen closely. Revelation 2 verse 7, he says, verse 7, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. The same word in the Old Testament, which is garden, is translated, remember I told you it's translated paradise in the Old Testament. John is aware of that. It's already translated, they call it paradise. So John is saying to this church, or Jesus actually is saying to this church, John is recording these words, saying that if you have an ear, listen to what the Spirit is saying, because if you overcome, then what's going to happen is you're going to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise or garden of God. Now you remember what happened? Genesis 3, God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden. Why did he drive them out of the garden? He put a cherub east of the garden, and a flaming sword. And the writer, who is Moses, we believe, records that he drove them out of the garden, least they should eat of the tree of life. Now, at the end of the book of Revelation, this, this Jesus is speaking to the church of Ephesus and saying that if you overcome, in the end, look at it, verse 7, in the end, you're going to eat of the tree of the tree which is in the garden of God. That tree of life was forbidden to Adam and Eve. It was forbidden. They couldn't eat of it. If they ate of it, they would live forever. But now the promise is to the church that if you eat of this tree, you're going to live forever. Do you know what that garden is? That garden is the garden of eternal life. Because in that garden, we're not forbidden to eat from the tree. We are encouraged to eat from the same tree that Adam and Eve was shunned from. If Adam and Eve would have ate from the tree, not only would they know good from evil, but they would have lived forever. And so God, in His omnipresence and His, His knowledge, understood that. So He put an angel east of Eden to guard the garden. And it's interesting that God said that I'm putting an angel here to stop anyone from going in to the garden, which implies that God didn't just remove the garden. He sent an angel there to 
stop anyone from going into the garden, lest they eat of the tree and live forever. You see, I believe what God is trying to do and trying to express to us is that what He started in the beginning, He's trying to get us back to what He started. There's nothing new. God's not trying to come up with a new plan. God is trying to get us back to the garden. Can somebody say amen? Sin happened in the garden. The serpent beguiled Eve and Adam in the garden. They lost the glory in the garden. They lost, they fell from grace in the garden. They lost their fellowship in the garden. But now, in the coming, now John tells us that in that city, there's going to be a garden, a paradise, where you and I will eat of the tree. And not only are we just going to eat from the tree, but we're going to live for all the endless ages of eternity. I know that's hard for some of us to believe, but I want you to understand something. We're going to live for all eternity. Can somebody say amen? Yeah, I know some of us, we get tired physically and our body's getting older, but I want to encourage you. We're going to live on forever. Once you die and they put you six feet beneath the ground, you're just really opening your eyes to a new city, to a new dimension, to a new paradise. It's not over. The story doesn't end in that garden. Your life is just going to begin when you open your eyes and you see Jesus and you see the angels and you see the, the street paved with gold. Hallelujah. You see, I know when I was growing up, we used to sing, I just want to, cabin in the corner of glory. I don't really care if there's a cabin there or there's a mansion and there's debates whether there's a mansion. It doesn't really matter. I know it's a paradise. I know there's a garden there and I want to go there. You see, Old Testament contained as New Testament explained. What was there was actually replicated here. There's a garden there, but there's a garden here. There was a tabernacle there. Hebrews 9. Jesus entered into the tabernacle, not made with these hands, but He entered the tabernacle before God, not with the blood of bulls and goats, but by His own blood. Where did Moses get the tabernacle for? Where did he get the blueprint for the tabernacle? Because he saw it there. You see, what's here was actually there. There was a garden here because there's a garden there. God is trying to get us back to what was lost in the garden. The devil plays the same old tricks over and over. The devil doesn't want you to participate in the paradise of God. He's trying to prevent you from going to the garden. He don't want you to go to the garden. He wants you to miss the garden. The same serpent that caused Adam and Eve to be exiled out of the garden is the same serpent right now trying to beguile and deceive people because he knows there's another garden and he's trying to keep you out of the garden. He kept Adam and Eve out of it and he's going to try to keep you out of the garden. Don't you let the enemy deceive you and beguile you and miss the garden of God. He won the first battle with Adam and Eve and they were kicked out of the garden. As a matter of fact, God came in the cool of the day. The cool of the day. Many people believe the cool of the day referred to early in the morning. God came early in the morning and asked Adam, where are you? Because what is the purpose of the garden? The purpose of the garden was for fellowship and communion with God. And in the garden, he was hiding himself from God. The very garden that God made, it was God's idea to commune with Adam and Eve. He was hiding himself in paradise. God understood that the original tent of paradise was fellowship and communion. And because sin hindered that, you've got to exit the garden. Because you can't commune with me like you should. You can't fellowship with me like you should. The garden is a place of communion. The garden is a place of fellowship. And since you sinned, fellowship is broken. And the garden has no use to you. Why live in the garden when you can't fellowship with me? Because that's the purpose of the garden. <laughs> but I'm so glad that John said, 
those that overcome, we're going to eat of the tree of life and we're going to fellowship with God in the garden. Somebody say, praise God. We're going to eat of the tree of life and we're going to live for all the endless ages of eternity. You see, the devil plays the same old tricks over and over again. I mean, Genesis chapter 3, the enemy knew what he was trying to do. The enemy's purpose was to destroy fellowship and get them out of the place that God has for them. Listen, not only is the enemy out to destroy your fellowship with God, but he's also out to get you moved out of the place, out of the place, out of the place. It's just not about fellowship. It's about removing you from the place that God has planted you. And listen, when you're out of fellowship with God, your places change. Why do you think that people jump here and there and go here and there and try to do? Because they're restless on the inside and, and, and they're looking for a place that would identify with the struggle in their heart. That is why people move here and there. They're looking for a place to identify with the struggle. And the garden is a place of fellowship and it did not identify with Adam and Eve because they broke the fellowship. And they had to be kicked out of the garden. God formed a people and gave them a place. God, the old enemy who the scripture records in Revelation is the old serpent that wears the people down. See, we live in a society where we don't want to focus or talk about the existence of a real devil, but there is a real devil. Many people believe the word serpent here is snake. Most believe that the snake had the ability to probably walk, but since it was cursed, it had to get on its belly. It had to crawl on its belly because of its curse. You see, this serpent who is possessed of the devil was communing with Adam and Eve. It's interesting to me that Eve didn't freak out. Here Eve is in the garden, and here is a serpent. Just comes along and starts talking with her. Let me say this. If the garden was a paradise and God put Adam and Eve in a perfect environment and they still messed up, what makes you think that just because you're in a perfect environment, you ain't going to mess up too? You can have everything right and the environment perfect and still mess up. So the Bible says that the enemy came, the serpent, and Eve wasn't freaked out by it, was it? Now, whether animals could communicate with humans, I have no idea. But obviously, in this narrative, the serpent was communicating with Eve. And the very first thing that happened was the serpent distorted the Word of God. The Word of God was distorted. Actually, Eve distorted the Word of God. The serpent came and said, now the serpent, verse 1, was more cunning or crafty than all the beasts of the field. In other words, he was sneaky. Than all of the beasts of the field. And said to the woman, has God indeed said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said, you see, this is what you have to understand. When this story, when this was taking place, sin had already happened. The first sin did not happen in the garden. The first sin happened in heaven. Lucifer rebelled against God, and the Scripture says, John said, that old dragon took one-third of the stars of God with him. Sin had already happened. Lucifer had already failed. There was a great rebellion in heaven, a great war in heaven. It had already taken place. So the serpent already knew what he was doing. Sin was already in existence. Because Lucifer rebelled against God in heaven and mankind is on earth and Lucifer was determined that there was going to be this great... Re he already rebelled against God in heaven and took one-third of the angels and because of his rebellion, he was going to distort and destroy what God had established on earth. 
So sin was already in existence. Lucifer already fell. He already took one-third of the angels with him. And now you have this story of him possessing a serpent, speaking to Eve. Hath God really said that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The woman said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, ye shall not eat of it or touch it, lest you die. Now, God never said you couldn't touch it. You see how the woman got confused? She distorted the Word of God. God didn't say you couldn't touch it. He said you couldn't eat it. And then she downplayed. She said, least you die. No, the Scripture says, the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. The emphasis was surely, you're going to surely die. This woman downplayed death. She, she added to the Word of God. You're not, you know, touch it. She distorted the Word of God. And the very first thing the enemy does to the people of God to get us out of the garden. Now listen to Pastor Josh. This is his plan and this is his method to get us out of the garden. To get you out of the garden. And what is the garden? I'm talking about a spiritual garden right now where you commune with God and fellowship with God. There's going to be an actual garden that we're going to participate in. But we're all in a spiritual garden right now. You have an opportunity to commune with God spiritually. And what the enemy does to get us out of that garden, just like he did Adam and Eve, the very first thing he does is he distorts the Word of God. He makes you believe something in the Word that's really God didn't say or God didn't put emphasis on. That's the reason that false religions and false cults are on the rise. Mormonism and Jehovah Witness and Christian science, they, they may have the Bible. They have the Bible and the pearl of great price. They have the Bible and the covenants and doctrines of Mormonism. They have the Bible and the Book of Mormon. They have the Bible and the Watchtower. They have some of the truth. Let me tell you something. You go to foreign nations and foreign countries, there's multiple religions. Some of the stuff they believe is true. They give to the poor. That's a good thing. You should give to the poor. They fast and pray. Fasting's a good thing. They do religious activity. It's a good thing. But they dis the enemy distorts the word of God. And that's what the enemy does. That's the very first thing he does. He gives you enough truth to convince you that it's true. Just enough truth. It sounds good, but he distorts the truth. God never said you couldn't touch it. She downplayed the dying issue. She didn't put emphasis. You're going to surely die the day you eat of the fruit. Do you see? Chapter 2, verse 17. Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. Or look at verse 16. Genesis 2, verse 16. And the Lord God... Genesis 2.16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, he says. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it. Now obviously there's several trees here. There's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then there's the tree of life. They couldn't eat of the tree of life. They couldn't, well, they couldn't eat of the, the tree of the, the, of, of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Bible says... Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat all of it. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You shall what? Surely die. And the woman says, verse number 3, Genesis 3.3, 3, Genesis 3.3, 3, she says, but of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. The Word of God was distorted. And that's the first progression to get you out of the garden. Distorting the Word of God. Believing something that's almost true, sounds true, but not wholly true. Distorts the garden. Verse number 5. Genesis 3, verse 5. For God knows that in the day, this is the serpent saying, God knows the day that you eat of eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, not only is the Word of God distorted, but the enemy is saying, I'm going to get you out of the garden. 
So I'm going to distort the word of God, and now I want you to deny the word of God. To deny it. Because the Bible says in verse 5, For God knows that the day that you eat of the tree, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The enemy already knew good and evil. The enemy already understood the concept between right and wrong. And since he already knew the concept between right and wrong, because he already, he already deceived one-third of the angels, he already had rebellion against God, he was God's arch enemy, and he was going to pollute the new human race. So he convinced this woman that go ahead and eat of it, because you're going to be like God, knowing God has a secret that he's holding out on you. Well, that's been played for 2,000 years. It's called Gnosticism. You know what Gnosticism is? It's the first heresy of the church. And these early Christians declared, if you truly want to be a Christian, you follow our group because we have a secret to tell you. Beware of churches who have secrets. And in order for you to be a part of them, you've got to know their secrets. Be very careful and leery of movements and churches who have secrets and you've got to do secret things to be a part of their movement. And you see, the serpent is saying, God doesn't want you to know this little secret. There's a secret. You can discern. Your senses can be elevated. Your senses can be elevated to more than you are aware of. Isn't that the drug epidemic? Go ahead and shoot up and take it again so your senses can be elevated to a new level. The enemy is like, there's more to this. Your senses can be exercised to a different dimension. There's a different high you've never had before. There's things you've never seen before. Good and evil. And of course, this woman was enticed by it, and they denied the Word of God. The Word of God was distorted, but the Word of God was denied. The Bible says in verse number 6, Genesis chapter 3, in verse number 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it and gave it to her husband who was with her, and he did eat it. Because that is the progression of sin, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's all sin falls in those categories. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. They defied the Word of God. They distorted the Word of God. They denied the Word of God. They defiled the Word of God. And they went against what God said and they ate of it. Why did she eat of it? Because she was coaxed by the enemy. And not only was she coaxed by the enemy, but she saw that it was good. Because that's how the enemy does. He comes through this gate and he comes through this gate. He, he tricks you by what you hear and by what you see. And the more that you hear it and the more that you see it, the more that you're going to participate in it. And that's why you've got to be careful what you hear and you've got to be careful what you see because the more you see something and the more that you hear something, it will lead you down the wrong path. You know that little song, Oh, little eyes, be careful what you... It's still true, isn't it? So she heard in one ear, go ahead and eat of it. She saw that it was good. She heard, she saw. She heard, she saw. And you see, we read this story and we think that this story happened in a 24-hour period. But let me remind you that this story, God didn't create Adam and Eve on Monday and they fell in sin on Friday. They could have been in the garden for hundreds and hundreds of years. They could have communed with God in the garden for hundreds of years. Nobody really knows how long they've been in the garden before they actually sinned. The Scripture does not tell us. But I do not believe they were created on Monday and the next day they fell into sin. Because I do believe that Adam and Eve was communing with God. They understood what God's request was. 
It was a continual thing over and over that the enemy was coming to Eve and coaxing Eve and talking to Eve till eventually she fell into it because that's what happens to us. We come to the altar and get a blessing. We don't, we don't want to sin the next day or the next day. We feel that spiritual high. It's when the enemy comes in and he talks to us day after day. He throws thoughts to us and we meditate upon it and we look at it until eventually we fall into it. Adam and Eve, I do not know how long they were in the garden, but I'm sure they were in the garden for a long time before they fell into sin. Could it be hundreds of years? Could it be thousands of years? Nobody really knows. They were in the garden, communing with God. And then God came along and they heard the sound. Verse 8, the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Early in the morning, in the cool of the day. Very cool. God was walking in the garden. Why was God walking in the garden? God was walking in the garden because it was custom for God to walk in the garden. It was His daily routine to walk in the garden. Why was mankind made? Mankind was made for fellowship with God. It was something that God did on a regular basis. And this day that God started to walk was just like any other day, but this day something changed. As He walked through the garden, He noticed that the two people that He created in His image was hiding themselves. Why do you hide from your Creator in the place that He's given you? Because they hid because they were naked. They were shameful. Shame was the result of their eyes being open between good and evil. And God knew they made a mistake. They wasn't shameful of their nakedness. Before, but now they're shameful. The Lord God called to Adam. Verse 9 said, where are you, Adam? And isn't that what God is doing today, church? God is walking in our hearts and He's calling to us, where are you? Where are you? He wants to commune with us. And so he said, I heard your voice in the garden. Isn't it interesting? Listen, you can still hear the voice of God even when you sin. Even when you messed up. Even when you rebelled against God. You have the potential to hear the voice of God. These people messed up. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. They were naked, they were shameful, they were hiding themselves, but they still had the ability to hear the voice of God. And I would tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that even in the darkest hours of our life, in the darkest mess of our life, we have the potential to hear what God wants to say to us. We want to say that if you're away from God, you can never hear from God. I don't believe that. I believe that even the unregenerated, if it's God's will, He can speak to you and you can hear His voice. They heard His voice even in their sin. The Bible says they heard the sound of the Lord your God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord a God among the trees of the garden. They heard His sound, but they did not see Him. Because that's what happens when we're in sin. We hear about God, but we do not see God. See, if you're going to have a relationship with God, it's not about just hearing His voice and hearing the sound of His coming, but it's the actual face-to-face encounter with God. And Adam and Eve lost that. They could hear His voice, they could hear the sound of His coming, but they lost that face-to-face encounter, fellowship with God. And that's, listen to me, that's what's happened in the church. We have people who can hear from God. We we have people who can hear the sound of God, but they do not commune with God face to face. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a grave difference. Grave difference. 
doing somebody who can hear the sound of His coming. Somebody who can hear His voice in the garden, but yet never commune with God. It's like texting, and you hear the beep, beep, beep. You see the text, you hear it, but you never face them. You never have communion with them. They heard His voice, they heard the sound of His coming, but they never wanted to face Him because that's what happens when the enemy distorts the Word of God. He would prefer that you hear about God than you to commune with God. The Bible says, the Lord, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called Adam, where are you? Where are you? And so he said, I heard your voice. I heard your what? I heard you, Lord. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat of? And the man said, the woman which you gave me to be my wife gave me of the tree and I ate it. And listen, we want to criticize this man for the blame game, but he was actually telling the truth. The truth is, the woman did give it to him. And the truth of it is, he took it and ate it. He went along with her. He participated with her. And did the Lord deny it? The Lord didn't argue with the man. Then the man said, the woman which you gave me, gave me of the tree. I ate it. And then verse 13, the Lord said to the woman, then he looks to the woman and says, what have you done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. And did the woman tell the truth? Yes, the woman told the truth. It was the serpent that deceived her. And God said to the serpent, he began to curse the serpent. It's interesting, get this. He never put a curse on the man and the woman first. The very first curse that God pronounces in the Bible was not on man and it wasn't on the woman. The very first curse that he pronounces was actually on the serpent because God knew what the enemy was doing. He already rebelled in heaven. He already took one third of the angels. He is the arch enemy of God and God had enough of it and he cursed the enemy. Why didn't God curse the enemy when he fell from heaven? He threw him out. Jesus said, I saw him fall from heaven like lightning. But this is the first curse of the devil. He's cursed. He pronounced a curse on the serpent. And then he speaks to the serpent. And he says, and this is the gospel in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 15, the climax of the whole chapter. He says to the serpent, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. He's saying to the woman here, you're going to have a seed, and this seed is going to what? Crush the head of the serpent. You see how God, you see how mad God was? He curses the serpent. He commands the serpent to crawl. He's mad at the devil. And then he looks at the woman and says, he doesn't curse her. He says, you're going to have a seed and this seed is going to crush the head of this serpent. Somebody say, praise the Lord. He's going to crush the head of the serpent. And you know what the devil does? Adam and Eve leave the garden. And I can just imagine Adam and Eve leaving the garden and they're feeling hopeless. They're leaving the garden feeling disappointed. They're leaving the garden feeling like they're failures. We spent years with God. We heard His voice for years. Why did we let a serpent Deceive us. I'm sure they 
reminisced about the times they had in the garden. All the good times. I'm sure Eve told her husband, do you remember times that God would come down early in the morning and He'd walk with us? you remember all those good conversations we had with God? I'm sure Adam told Eve, yeah, you remember how God opened His heart up and told us mysteries before the foundation of the world. I'm sure when they left the garden and God drove them out, they felt hopeless and helpless. But Eve remembered, Eve remembered a promise that God gave. And that promise was, you're going to have a seed. And that seed will crush the head of the very serpent that deceived you and excommunicated you out of the garden. Can you imagine how comforted she felt that she had this promise that God was going to take care of the serpent that deceived her? They had Cain and Abel, and yet that same serpent, that same devil, Lucifer, who deceived those angels and that same serpent who deceived Eve and Adam came to get in the mix again and possessed Cain and he killed his brother Abel. Abel is now dead and Cain has been exiled. Can you imagine what Adam and Eve is now thinking? What is going on? Here we've been excommunicated from the garden and we don't have the face-to-face -face interaction with God anymore. And I'm hoping that my seed, my child, could somehow pay back and destroy that serpent. I'm sure Adam and Eve thought to themselves, we're in no place to destroy the serpent that deceived us. But God gave us a promise that one of my seed is going to destroy and crush the head of that serpent. I'm sure Adam and Eve was really confused when they found out that Cain killed Abel and now Abel is dead and Cain is exiled and they're thinking to themselves, what is going on in this story? But you see, ladies and gentlemen, when you can't see the whole story, and when the story don't make sense, God always makes sense. I said God always makes sense. In Genesis chapter 5 and verse, and I'm going to close with this, Genesis chapter 5 and verse number 3, something significant begins to happen. Are you ready for it? Somebody say, I'm ready for it. Something significant begins to happen. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 5 and verse number 3, And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his own image and named him Seth. Here, Adam and Eve has another son. And do you know what the word Seth means? Appointed or substitute. You see, what Eve didn't understand was that even though her two children were gone, God had a way of bringing another person through and Seth. And even though she died and Adam died and never saw that serpent crushed, God had a plan. Because Seth, through the lineage of Seth, according to the genealogy of Jesus, Jesus, who is the seed, that crushed the head of the serpent, actually came from the lineage of Seth. Did you hear me? God had a way of putting the pieces together. Did you hear what Pastor Josh said? I want to let you know that Satan tried to stop the plan of redemption. Satan destroyed Cain and Abel, thinking that his plan was going to stop the Messiah. 
But God raised up Seth so by his own lineage a Messiah would come. And I want you to know that the devil is defeated today because the Bible says, Paul said, thanks be to God, to Jesus, who gives us the victory, who crushed the head of the serpent. The Bible is clear that Jesus is that seed that crushed the head of the serpent. And I want you to know that through his own death, and through his burial and his resurrection, the serpent's head is crushed. And you and I now have access to the paradise of God. No longer can the enemy keep us out of paradise. We have now access to the paradise of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. I said amen. You can't destroy the seed now. You put Jesus in a storm, and he'll get up and command the winds and the waves to be still. You put Jesus on a cross, and he'll open heaven up for a dying thief. You put him in a grave, and three days later, he'll get up and walk out. You put him in a court of judgment, and the verdict will be, is I find no fault in this man. You try to drown the man, and he'll get up and walk on top of the water. I'm telling you, you can't destroy the seed of God. Hallelujah. Woo. That's what the enemy, the enemy since then, since he couldn't destroy the seed, he thought he did on the cross. For if the princes had known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. The enemy thought, I got him, I got him. I'm going to destroy the redemptive plan of God. Oh, but the enemy didn't see that God raised him from the dead. And now you and I have that seed in us. You have the ability to continue to crush the head of the devil. You have the ability to walk in victory. You have the ability to rise above the head of the serpent and walk upon his head. Jesus told his disciples, Behold, I give unto you power that you may tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Now, by the very presence of God through the new birth, you receive the seed of God inside of you. And now you and I are heirs of salvation and we have the ability to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy.